If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Yes, it is the Heretic Happy Hour, and we are here for the Q&A portion of our live podcast. Thank you guys for being here with us. Give us another round of applause. Let us know you're out there. Yeah, baby. And we are doing our uh, series on culture wars. Um, We will also make sure we thank Sidecar Donuts once more for giving us the space to meet and have this meeting, as well as uh, these awesome Sidecar Donuts over here. I hope you've tried some of these. They're amazing. There's one with bacon on it. It's so good. All right. So thank you, Sidecar. Anyway, so my name is Keith Giles. I'm one of the hosts for the Heritage Happy Hour podcast. I'm the host of, I'm sorry, the author of several books, including uh, one that just came out called Jesus Undefeated, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. Yes. And uh, I'm joined. That's right. Attaboy. Producer's on his game today. Yeah, it's about time. And I'm joined. Oh, shit. He's going to shut you up, man. I'm joined by my uh, my two co-hosts, Matt and Jamal. Guys, introduce yourselves. Say hi. Hi, friends. This is Jamal again. I'm so glad to be back for round two. The Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and I'm just kind of holding in my hands this really cool product here, mm-hmm. um, Wild Foods product. Are you trying to do my announcement, or are you setting me up for I'm, it? I'm setting you up. My man. My man. <laughs> my man. Yes, and that makes me Matt DeStefano, your third favorite host. Uh, got a couple books, one called Heretic, one called Devoted as Fuck, one called From the Blood of Abel, the other two on Whiffenstock. Fuck those. No, I'm just kidding. I love Whiffenstock. <laughs> I think those books are better. Really Whiffenstock has been around since the really 70s. Good. Hey, hey, we were having this conversation earlier <laughs> before the uh, podcast about like, if you kind of wanted to like have a little bit of fun, oh yeah, uh, you should go to your, your uh, Christian bookstore. And you can find one. Yeah. If you can find one, you go to a Christian bookstore and say, this hey, I'm, I, can you guys look up a book for me? <laughs> Um, I'm, it's it's called the title I think is like devoted, but I can't remember the whole the whole title. And it's by Matthew DiStefano. And, yeah, you look him up. I'm sure and he's just on the see what, like there. see, see the, and then look yeah. at the reaction on their face when it pops up in the system. <laughs> be like, oh, oh, we don't carry that. No, don't ruin someone's day. That's bad, Jamal. You're so naughty. Um, but yes, as as I said last time, we are sponsored by Wild Foods. They are doing some great stuff in the uh, in the whole business of eating whole foods from small batch farmers, and I love that. So we have here, if you are on Facebook, we've got some Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what the fuck that is, honestly. But it's really good. But... I love their message, and they're trying to uh, spread the message that food is medicine. And I agree with that. I think in America especially, I don't know what it's like in other countries, we eat uh, we eat toxins and poisons. Yeah. And if we Can could get back to, I know it's expensive. I struggle with it all the time. Like, But if you can get to eating some real whole foods that is uh, not laced with a bunch of sugar and a bunch of other, uh, you know, processed organic, foods. Or, you know, I think that's healthy. I think that's exactly. a good. Uh, that's a good. That's a good step in the right direction. And so, if you want to get on some great coffee, yep. some great fish oil, some great coconut oil, MCT oil, you're going to want to go to wildfoods.co, not .com.co, and you're going to want to put in the uh, the promo code Happy Hour twelve one two, and you're going to get twelve percent off your order. And that to me is, and that helps our show. It does help, and it helps, it helps your show. life. More importantly, and, yes. it helps your health. So that's what you're going to do. 
That's right. Yes, it's sir. good. It's a win-win. It's a win-win-win. It's good for everyone. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so this is the second portion of our live podcast recording. And honestly, I'll be honest, it, this is my favorite part. I love the uh, Q&A session because this is where we now get to hear from you guys. Uh, we have a microphone. I'm not sure who's got that. There you go. So our producer, Ralph Palindo there, he's got a microphone. If you have, uh, after having sat through this first hour recording of the podcast, which was Phenomenal. I know. Your brain is just firing a thousand different directions. And you all have these Unbiased burning, opinion, I'm burning, sure. burning questions. I, I can see it. I can tell all you guys, right? Don't don't rush the stage. Don't, you know, Ralph's only one man. Uh, but raise your hand if you have a question and we would love to, you know, hear your question, any thought you have. If it was a question about our topic, about celebrity culture, or just something in general about theology or whatever, the Bible or church or whatever, Christianity in America, uh, anything like that. Uh, just raise your hand and let us know, and we want to hear your question. And I hope you have something, or this will be the shortest. This will be the shortest podcast. <laughs> the shortest episode, Q and A episode, which is fine. Ever. And we can go. We can be done and go drink. Yeah, we can talk, we can talk eat about, some more donuts. <laughs> talk about Mary Magdalene. Yeah, well, we can. We oh can kick God. it off. We've got. We already a, had an episode, man. A whole episode. <laughs> Somebody, come on! It, it, a, a it's always the first person. Is there a Facebook question? Oh, we so have a Facebook can, question. Yeah, we can kick right, it off. Hold that, All right. uh, brother Tom. Uh, he says, oh, Tom. isn't the concept of flocking to celebrities who are converted to Christianity the same as Jesus talking to the woman at the well? And that through the woman at the well, coming back and leading people to Jesus. Huh. Is that celebrity? I don't think that's the same that as the celebrity. I'd say no, it's not the same. I, no. it's really, but that's a good point. That's a good point. So the, the Samaritan woman, I she love was, this story. She was infamous. Way. She was infamous. Infamous. Yeah. Sure. She was in. Yeah. She had a record in the community. Yeah. Here, I love that story though with Jesus in the, in the in the dialogue with the Samaritan woman because here's the deal: like Jesus was, like you know, he you know, the Samaritan woman was like, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to set us all straight. He'll tell us where we can get this water, you know, and you know, all, you know, Jesus saying, look, if you knew who, you know, if you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me where you can get this living water and you wouldn't have to come to this well all the time. You can just get, you can get living water continually. And she's like, well, you know, are you greater than our father Abraham that founded the well and this kind of thing? And he's like, well, when the Messiah comes, yeah, he'll set all this straight and he'll like tell us all, everything. But then what I love about his message to her was like, well, what I'm trying to do is show you where the well is because from within you will come streams of living water. He didn't say from within the Messiah will come streams of living water. And then you'll have to come to Jesus to get the living water. That wasn't Jesus' message. Jesus' message to the Samaritan woman was, I'll actually show you how you can get it. Now, I know, I know what the rebuttal is. It's like, well, it's by believing in Jesus. That's what he said. When you believe in Jesus, then you'll have that stream of living water. But if you want to believe in Jesus, you need to believe what Jesus said. And Jesus, that's really what the, the, the benefit of believing in Jesus isn't what you think about him. It's what, that you would actually take credence into the message that he's giving. And the message he's giving is he's telling you where you get the living water. And the living water comes from within you. And I don't think that's Kanye West. I don't, I, last time I heard, I haven't heard Kanye West saying anything like that. He actually is just saying, hey, make a decision about giving your life to Jesus. Sounds great. But that's not what the evangelical message is. The evangelical message doesn't tell you where God is. It just doesn't. Because the essence, the source, the root is in you. And it is in you. It's just like when Jesus is looking, uh, or he's talking to the Pharisees, and you know he's saying, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that you guys have been looking for, 
It's within you. He said that to people that did not believe in him, by the way. So which is it? Is it true or is it not true? Not true. (laughs) It was within him. So the essence is like, this is the message of Jesus. It's within you. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. It's within you. That's the message. So look, Kanye West, come bring that message. Uh, I think that the, it's funny because we, uh, we had an event here last night and we were kind of on a similar discussion about like that whole message of evangelical Christianity, which I, I believe for years and years and preached to myself, right? That idea of um, you need to invite Jesus into your life, which by the way, that language doesn't appear. Jesus never asked anybody to ask Jesus into their life. The apostles never asked anyone to invite Jesus into their, into their life. But it's actually, it's, a, it's flipped around. It's the opposite. It's actually Jesus invites us into his life. In other words, Jesus has a kind of life, right? Jesus has a kind of, um, he has a different perspective on the world. He has a different way of being. He has a different way of relating to the Father. Um, and that's what he's inviting us into is that. So we're invited into his life rather than I've got this over here and I'm going to have Jesus like, you know, added to this, right? So... I, I do think it's different. I think they're, they're two different ideas. I don't know if you would agree with that. I know we're, we're not on the same page on that exactly. But, um, but I, do, I do reject this idea that what we have to do is pray some prayer and ask Jesus into your life. Because, again, I did that. And what I also, my experience was, especially as a young person, is, you know, I, I, I raised my hand, walked the aisle, prayed that prayer. And then I went to summer camp. And then I raised my hand, walked the aisle, prayed that prayer. And then I went to youth group. And then I raised my hand, walked the aisle, prayed that prayer. Like, you know, it's like, did it really change anything? No, it didn't, right? And I felt like I had to do it like every six months or so it would stick. Like it didn't last, it didn't stick, it didn't do anything. Because again, it doesn't do anything, right? It's just this, you're going through these motions, you're repeating after me, you know, you're, you're uh, again, something else that also doesn't appear anywhere in scripture. Jesus never asked anyone to pray any prayer like that. Um, so, you know, it took me a while to recognize that that wasn't what it was about. That wasn't what Jesus was inviting us into, right? He was showing us a way to live, a way to be. He was asking us, this is what he means when he says, follow me, right? He's setting for us a, a different way of seeing and being this whole repent, right? It's not about feeling sorry for your sins. The word repent is metanoia. It means to think different, right? And so he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, completely blowing their minds, right? Saying things that to, to them would be like, what do you, what? You know, because everything he's saying is going right up against all of their uh, assumptions about who God is, about Moses and the law, about all these things, and he's just mowing all that down, right? But he begins by saying, metanoia, think different, and then he just gives them a completely different way of thinking and believing and knowing and living uh, and relating to God. So I think that's much more important. Good stuff. Yep, do, we have, do we have another question? No, I think you got... We got someone in the back. Scott. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. You were at our first live podcast recording, right? Yes, and asked a five-minute question. And you so asked one I of the most epic questions of all time. So here so we go. We're back. Strap it in. Part two. <laughs> uh, thanks for, thanks for uh, putting this on. Uh, Scott from Bros Bibles Beer. Is it bro- Zach, is it Bros Bibles Beer? Bi- what is- it's your podcast, man. Don't you know that? Yeah. Dude. I don't pay attention. Anyway, yeah. Um, I didn't really have a question until Jamal, just that last, um, you know, the, the water coming from within as kind of a default state of all humans. Is that kind of what you're 
uh, thinking there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in, in that passage in John 4, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So I take that as that humanity is not just inherently going to have this well of water springing up. It's after we turn to God, change our mind about God, uh, then our sins are forgiven. Um, we see the Holy Spirit, justification, all that, all that stuff. Then, like in like you were talking about imita- uh, imitating Christ, um, that is the water that springs up. Is how we live, how we're living, like Christ lived. So I, I mean, I just, I mean, just not having a universal view of, of uh, yeah. salvation. I think like you do, but yeah. I don't know if there's a question. Well, no, I think... But, but make a comment. Yeah, but you, you have a response to that. I, no. I have a thought, too, but I want yeah. to hear Paul. Well, yeah. You know, I hear, I hear your comment, and uh, I, note, I note the distinction, and I do get what you're saying. Um, my, I have a different understanding of that, because I think the water that Jesus gives is the teaching that he gives about who we are. That's my understanding. So when we listen to Jesus... So Jesus... Another example of this, because I think there's more than just one place that he said this, but he was looking at his disciples one time and he said, I am the light of the world. And then he uh, turned around and said, but you are the light of the world. And he said this to his disciples who they didn't. Now, nobody argues with the fact that Jesus is the light of the world because that's easy, right? Oh, look, it's the light of the world. But then he says, but you're the light of the world. But no one takes a light and hides it under a, a bush or whatever. And so the, the controversial message that Jesus gave wasn't that he's the light. Of course, it was to some circles. Yes, it's not controversial in Christian circles now to say Jesus is the light of the world. It's always controversial to say that we are the light of the world. I mean, can you with confidence look in the mirror and say, I am the light of the world? So if you believe that teaching. I'm pretty, I'm pretty dark. I mean, so but I mean, like, Jesus, if we, like, like, again, now I don't want to use evangelical language, but you know, like sometimes when you're in church and the, the pastor says, you got, I didn't say it, guys. I'm just quoting the word of God. You know, you've heard that the pastor said it. Well, in the same way, I say, well, look, Jesus said it. So if he says that we're the light of the world, if he's calling these people the light of the world, um, then they might be. <laughs> and it might be more than just one person, if you believe it. So if you want to receive the water that he's bringing, then you, got, you might have to accept that. And say, oh yeah, okay. And so then, and then from once you realize that, and you're waking to it, you go, oh my goodness, I got this. It's like it's like uh, we're you know, like if you ever had a car, if you ever get your eye on a car, like I want a Tesla. I see them everywhere now. But before I wanted a Tesla, before I was aware I wanted a Tesla, I didn't see them anywhere. Mm-hmm. And now I see them everywhere. So I want some water. I want thirsty. I want to drink water that I don't that really satisfies. Oh. I know what kind of water that is. Like, I'll show you where it's at. And then once you see it, you'll have it. And it'll come, it'll be perpetually there all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So this is a fascinating topic, at least to me and Jamal, at least I think. But I don't know about the rest of you because we have this conversation all the time. But it's one, of the, it's, one of the, it's one of the conversations that Jamal and I have back and forth all the time. I think it's worth having. And I think in many ways, I think I said this on the last podcast we did. Um, I think in many ways, actually, 
Jamal and I agree when you get to the final stages and steps of what it is we're saying, like where you end up. I think we would disagree, I think, we would disagree mostly on kind of how we exactly get there. But um, but I I agree with Scott in the sense that, the who asked the question, in the sense that I do think that there needs to be, like we people need someone to sort of show us there's some other thing. We have to be, we have to be awakened. We have to have, so there is a, there's a need for some sort of a, an acknowledgement or a response or a shift, a conscious shift. I guess this is the metanoia thing. Like we have to have that awareness and shift. If we don't, we will never experience that change and that shift, right? So whether or not Christ is in you or not, um, if you don't think he is and you have no awareness of it, you might, he, you know, he might as well not be because you're, no one has shown you or told you, hey, you're in Christ and Christ is in you, right? But once you know that and you believe that and then you start living that way, ah, now things are, things will happen, right? Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, so, so I, I, I acknowledge that. I think there still needs to be for us. I think we have to come to an awareness and a realization and a knowledge of that one way or the other. Um, I, I think that what's like some of the nuances of the differences may be like, um, like I could say, I could look in the mirror and say, I'm the light of the world. But what I would mean by that is I am the light of the world because the light of Christ is in me, right? That's why I'm the light of the world. And I know you probably wouldn't add that little caveat specifically. But I don't think it means anything. For me, it, for me, it means that for me, that's how I get there. That's how, right. but, but at the end of the day, we're both, we're both there. Right. We're both looking in the mirror. We're both saying the so same thing. We're both things, mean the same thing, but we get there different ways. Right. It, it feels good to say because Christ is in me because it draws a distinction between me and the other person. But you would, but you would agree that Christ is in you. Uh, That's what she said. <laughs> well, I don't, I, I probably oh, wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't, I, I probably wouldn't associate I'm going to hell. Oh my God. Christ being in me in the same way that. Well, you would say you are Christ. Well, I would say, I would say, I, I don't think Jesus said Christ is in me. I think Jesus referenced himself when he said, right. I am the light of the world. And then yeah. Jesus didn't say, and I, Christ is in you. So you, therefore you're the light of the world. He didn't say that. He recognized that they were also the light of the world in essence, because I think the damage. But he does, can I say though, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm interrupt you, but he yeah. does talk about if you abide in me and I abide in you. So that is Christ in me and me abiding in Christ. So that he does talk about Christ himself being in us and us being in him. He talks about remaining in his love. Right. That kind of but thing. He, but he uses this language of we're, uh, mm-hmm. we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us. There, so there is some language, and that's not probably the only place where he talks about this. Uh, there, there is sort of this need for... It, it uh, sounds conditional the way you put it. Yeah, and then this is this is where you and I have this yeah. discussion, right? And I I think, um, but the, I would say it's conditional, not in whether or not Christ is in me or not. It's conditional in that's in in the sense of whether I am living out of that. I'm aware. Oh, of that. sure. People who aren't aware of who they are don't live. Aware so that's what I'm saying. Awareness. Yeah, but it doesn't negate. So I think Scott's contention is that. It sounds what like Scott's saying. Hey, look, it sounds like what you're saying is universal in nature to everybody, and I'm saying yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not, cont- so but that's actually, coming from a place where he's saying, look, if you accept Jesus, if you accept the person of Jesus, then therefore, then that's when the living water, right. and if you don't, there's no living water there. 
Right. Now you probably. That's a very I think that different is statement. Saying. But I would. So what I'm saying is almost like that. But mm-hmm. um, where I've gotten to now is the place where um, Richard Rohr mentions this in his book, Cosmic Christ, which is an awesome book. And he shares a story at the beginning of the book about a woman that had a vision on the train and she suddenly just saw Christ in everyone, everyone on the train. Mm-hmm. And then she came out of the subway and went up onto the street and everybody in the sidewalk, she just saw Christ in everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and it lasted for a couple of days. And it was a very profound experience for her to just, she just could see Christ in everyone. Um, and then, but she used a phrase, she said, you know, she saw Christ in everyone, but in some people, Christ was in there. Christ was in everyone, but in some people, Christ was the way that in them, in the way Christ was in the tomb, uh, dead and had not resurrected. He's in there, but in them, in that particular person, he has not yet resurrected and he had not yet come to life in them. He's not, it's not that he's not in there. He is, but he's not alive in them yet. In other words, the resurrection is inevitable. It's not like the, Jesus is going to go into the tomb and stay there and not come out, right? Christ is about resurrection. So the resurrection is inevitable. Um, so I, I think I'm leaning more towards that side of it, where Christ is in everyone and everyone is in Christ. We've had this conversation so many times. Um, but I, again, I think there's an activation point where people have to get it. They have to go, oh, yeah, exactly. And not just get it, but then live out of it. I am intentionally going to live out of this reality. Right. The, que- the question I have is that, is it, is it getting the right words or is it getting the right actions? Right. Because, of course, you can have the book by, uh, by Han, Living Buddha, Living Christ. Mm-hmm. Is the, the Buddhist who lives like Christ living out of that reality? And I would say yes. I would say yes as well. I don't think he has to say, yeah, I don't think he has to say the magic words. I don't think he has to be a Christian. I don't think he has to accept any specific biblical doctrines or anything like that. So that's why I'm saying is that at the end of the day, Jamal and I love to have this conversation about how exactly do you get, but I'm saying, but but we both agree that we, we, we both agree that the end result is the same, right? However we get there, that the end result is the same. Anyway. I guarantee we did not. That's not the last that time we're going to have that conversation. In the fullness of what it could be, yeah, we're, we'll do that a couple <laughs> more times, I'm sure. But but let me say also, you know what? I'm glad I've been having this conversation with Jamal over the last two years, because I think having this conversation with you has helped change my views on this. Like uh-huh. I I was uh, in a place where no, yeah, really. So no, I uh, for the longest time I was of the feeling that you know. Well, no, you know, Christ is not in everybody. Christ is only in the person that you have, you know, intentionally made a decision to follow Christ. And now Christ is in you, right? And then, then uh, wrestle with the idea of like, well, but hold on, you know, when Paul shows up in Athens and preaches this uh, evangelistic message to idol-worshiping pagans, he proclaims to them, God is your father and you are in Christ, Christ is the one in whom you all live and move and have your being, idol-worshipping pagans. Right? That was huge. So so I, I've shifted, like, okay, all right, so everyone's in Christ, but is Christ in everybody? So, I mean, I've honestly wrestled with this for a long time, and this is where I'm at right now. Um, and, but it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to wrestle with and to think about and, and to I agree. figure I think, it out. I think we do need other people to help us like a, a teacher, a message, like Jesus brought a message to the Samaritan woman right. to help her understand. Right. It was necessary. I think it's necessary. For me, just early on in my life, somebody was really instrumental 
for me to, to hear the gospel was Mr. Rogers. I thought, I thought you were going to say Mary Magdalene. No, I mean, but, but going God. early on, just as a little child, I used to Thank be glued to the TV. I'm being serious about this. I used to be glued to the TV when Mr. Rogers would come on TV. Yeah, me too. I love Mr. Rogers. And, and uh, because, you know, he's actually got a message. You know, he, he actually envisioned his work in children's uh, television as ministry. Mm-hmm. And he had a theological degree, and this was how he, he, uh, you know, manifested his beliefs. And it was by telling children who they were. And I think that's why I was so drawn to his message. It was good news to me. They were all his neighbor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was good news. It was good news to me. I love Fred There's, you can't, you can't, I'm pretty convinced that this guy, I mean, the public television workshop setup was pretty cheesy. Yeah. Low budget. Yeah. Not a lot of fanfare. You know what I mean? Like it, people laughed at him. Yeah. They Sweaters said it will never yeah. work. Yeah. You're never going to. And the impact he had on generations of kids. It's astounding. One guy. Yep. And the impact he had in the simplicity of his message. That is the gospel. Mm-hmm. It, and, and you know what? It was not. There was no ideology, no creeds. Right. Mr. Rogers does not promote a theology or an ideology or creed. So he can't box him in as Christian. Wasn't he Presbyterian? He was Presbyterian. Presbyterian but you wouldn't know it by but watching. No, that's tele- not part you of his message. You listen to his. Yeah. That's but you know what I mean? But like there's an, the essence well, wait, is. Are Presbyterians Christians though? <laughs> no, not, not really. I mean, uh, not sorry. Really. But here, sorry. here's the thing. Like he, the reason there's such impact is because he was telling kids who they were. Yeah. And it was not dependent upon any belief structure. Yeah. I, I know that sounds crazy, but. Yeah. It sounds like Jesus to me. Yeah, I love you just the way you are. Just yeah, are. yeah. That's the good stuff, though. Right? Anybody Questions. else? Question? We must have more because Please. we're 30 minutes in and we need 30 Help minutes us. more. Help us. Ask us a question. We did, we, it's, yeah, somebody besides Scott. We and then we'll come another, back to Scott. We did have another we'll question from, uh, from Facebook. Okay, okay bring um, it up. Ryan Remington. Thank you, Zuckerberg. Oh, not that guy. No, no, no. no, 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 no next no, one. No, next no, one. No, 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 next one. Who else, <laughs> next. Who else you got? <laughs> he said, uh, when did Vin Diesel join the Heretic Happy Hour? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo. This guy. Oh, Ryan. This guy. This guy. I haven't seen that dude in a while, so glad to have you back, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, hi. Oh, I was looking at you, producer bitch. Oh, uh, no, right in there. Yes, Ryan. Yeah. Glad to hear from you. Do you want to answer that? I'm assuming he's talking about you. <laughs> I'm just assuming. I don't, I don't want to be an asshole. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when did too many motherfucking heretics in this motherfucking place? <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think yeah, we joined you. The, the heretic happy at the same time, didn't we? Didn't we all? I think we all I think did. We all did. We all yes. did yeah. yeah. Same time. Yeah. Same time. 2017 to answer your question. Or even questions about the podcast. You know, like sometimes people have asked, like, how do we start this thing, right? How did this thing get together? But, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You just did. Also had a uh, question uh, earlier. He said, uh, what are some of the new books coming out? That's for for you. I mean, personally, are you writing a book? No. Keith? You're writing like eight, I uh, guarantee. I'm writing like eight books, yes. I'm... I have one. Well, this guy pisses. This guy pisses me off. I yeah. swear. 
So I, I get put real out, my medic with you. Yeah, I, that's a good. That's a good thing though. So I, I put out two books in 2019. Uh, my goal is to put out three books and this year. That's this year. Uh, so I'm doing a book ridiculous. Uh, called Square One, which is based on this 90-day course I'm doing called Square One, which is helping people move from deconstruction of their faith into reconstruction of their faith, and it's 90 days. So we just finished the phase one of that, the first round of that, the first 90 days, with like with 12, 12 people in the group, and it was amazing. It was like way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, so anyway, based on that, I'm going to be writing a book on that to help people. You know, I put it in kind of a book form, uh, and there'll be a workbook along with that to help people kind of process deconstruction and reconstruction um so that's the most recent one yeah, yeah. yeah hopefully in march but then i think uh does michelle have a book coming out michelle collins what what yeah you gonna tell us about your book michelle when you, give, she's give, give her a mic give her a mic, her a mic we need to record this michelle collins ladies and gentlemen yes well, michelle yeah. <laughs> Um, but it is 75% at the editor right now. So yeah, awesome. <laughs> so I'm finishing up the last little bit. Uh, it started out as a thesis idea for my doctorate. It was on the psychological and emotional effect of the deconstructive process and its application to the grief cycle. And that's about where everybody falls asleep because it sounds about that boring. Um, it's actually being it's a it's a doctoral thesis. I mean, yeah. come it's on, it's not now. It's it's oh. written from an anecdotal perspective, my anecdotal perspective, um, and I tend to be somewhat snarky and sarcastic. Hmm? Um, I know it's hard to understand, Michelle. I've known uh, you for so long, and I've never thought that about you, right? Because I'm a sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's I do plan to put it to finish it this year and get it to Ralph and then he can decide if he thinks there's value in it or not. Yeah. Um, oh, stop of it. course. No, I, I mean, honestly, I've made him wait so long. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't read it. He has no idea. <laughs> it could be trash. You wouldn't know. No, we know you, Michelle. It'll be it's trashy, be awesome. but not trash. Yeah, it's gonna exactly. be no, it's not trashy. Maybe that's what I need to do. Spice it up a little, hey, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a high bar. Yeah. You're there. fine. <laughs> Um, no, but I was talking to Keith earlier because we were talking about the idea, the difference between deconstruction and reconstruction. And I really thought it was a book on deconstruction. But the more I think about it, I do think there is a reconstructive quality to it simply because when you understand the psychology of what you've gone through, it, it does provide an environment for you to move forward from that place in a healthier mindset right. and to understand your own psychological well-being at a better level. Um so, but now I have to come up with a new doctoral thesis. So, <laughs> and 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 this is I I think I mentioned this to to Matt earlier. I have another idea, um, so I'm going to make it public because I think it's a cool idea. Do but it. it'll probably take me another five years to get this one out. <laughs> um, but I think I'd like to write on the psych the psychological effect of atonement theory, uh, the different atoning theories. Oh yeah, and how each one of them strikes us at a psychological level. So, um, it, for instance. Uh, penal penal substitutionary atonement theory. She's what are penal. some of the mm-hmm. problems with that in from a psychological perspective? What did mm. you say? I said she said penal. <laughs> <laughs> it can only go up from here. This is like the toddler level. So. <laughs> we picked the lowest fruit on the tree. Lowest hanging fruit right there. And don't say a word. <laughs> yeah, please. Anyway. Don't make it worse. I'm not saying nothing. Uh, awesome. I think that's a brilliant thesis, honestly. Yeah. Because, you know. I'm, looking, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I don't know, like we, Ralph knows way more than we do, but I know there's a fiction book coming out that's going to, I think, 
blow people away that I have. I fully expect that it's going to be a film on Netflix, a Netflix, you know, series or a movie or something. It's like really awesome. Um, yeah, there's some serious great stuff coming. I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of choir. I'm I really too. am. I, I'm so glad I kind of got in when I did. Um, my goal is to publish with choir until I'm dead or he, he makes me stop. Um, so I'm trying to write so many books before he, you know, before he kicks you me, out of the club. Before he kicks me out of the club. <laughs> um, no, I think the great thing about choir is, uh, and it's choirs. And sorry, Ralph, I'm going to, I'm going to say some good things about you. The great thing about choir and about Ralph is that he's very quietly and slowly built choir as a brand that means something. And what it means is like, so it reaches, it's to the point now organically where if you saw a brand new book was coming out and you didn't know the name, you didn't know the author, never heard of that guy. Who's that guy? And you saw the title. Eh, I don't know. But you saw it was from choir. You would go, oh, you know what? I'm going to check that out. Because to be a choir book means something, right? It's a, you know it's going to have a certain quality to it. It's going to challenge things that other publishers won't touch, right? That they're afraid to touch. That choir, that's what they want. That's, that's the book they're looking for. They want the book that other publishers are like, I don't know, that's a little controversial. I know we maybe we can't talk about that. And choir's like, no, bring it on. We want to have that conversation. So I'm really excited. And I think that this 2019 already had some great book. Matt Rhee's book. Uh, Carl Forehand's book, Matt Calvin's book, your book, your book. Um, you know, like there's been some great books that have come out already, but I, I think 2020 and beyond, it's going to be phenomenal. So yeah, to piggyback on that, and this is the thing I love about choir and the show is that it's like dichotomous. Like people always say like, I love your show because it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. And that's a, that's a benefit of the show. And I think What's also a benefit, and I don't know if everyone sees this, is that the show is so tight and choir is so tight and it's tight by other people being able to do what they do. And I was thinking about it and I was like, Jamal, you do life coaching. You write, you do your other podcasts and you do life coaching. You write fucking more than anyone I've ever seen in my life. Like, I don't, I don't know how you publish on Patheos eight times a week. There's not even that many days. And you write so many books. I'm like, I'm kind of jealous. And I, I, I write and do my blog and, and do hip hop and do another podcast. And we all have this mm-hmm. like separate thing. And the respect that we give each other is that go do your thing mm-hmm. and then we'll come together when we come together. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Like it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter if we agree or disagree. Because yep. at the end of the day, like we're going to have a nice cocktail. We're going to talk. And, and that's, yeah. that's the cool part of it. Yeah. That's the beauty. The, the, and and the 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 solidifying factor is the respect we have for each other to do that. Yeah. To be individuals and to come together. Yeah. And when I yeah. when I explain to people, uh, like when I they find out, like, oh, you do a podcast, and I try to explain them what it is. The first thing I tell them is it's not for everybody. Um, if you're offended by f bombs, it's not for you. But what I love about this podcast is that um, we get to model every single episode what it means for Christians t- uh, to disagree. And, and we, but we still love each other and respect each other. Um, we don't argue. We don't fight. We don't yell at each other. We don't get personal, right? Um, and I think that's rare. And oh my gosh, is it necessary? Like, I don't, I can't even think of another example of where Christians can get together regularly and disagree every single episode in a way that's respectful and loving. And at the end of it, we still love each other. Like, we end every podcast like, love you guys. And we mean it. We seriously do. And that's a, that to me is special. That's what that's what it, I love about this podcast. So I, I think it's awesome. Someone's getting arrested. But next question. <laughs> yes. 
was struck by your uh, by your uh, what song? Is it on? Yeah, is is it on? Just make sure it's on. There we go, Matt. Struck yeah, by your song, twenty five years. Yeah, and uh, obviously, I'm assuming that had to do with a personal twenty five years yes, experience sir. in the. Uh, uh, institutional church, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So, question for you, but if you'll all just answer. 25 years, you had a little bit of uh, angst there coming through. Sure. Was it all that way? What Did you feel like it was forced upon you from an early age? Or how did you even get into the institutional church? Did anything good come of it? And, you know, the the uh, experience of coming out of that, obviously, has been, has been great for you now. But... Uh, how did you even get into it? How, how, how did you even start uh, your your twenty five year journey? Um, well, that's a good question because no, no, I did not have all negative um, experiences. Um, for instance, I lo- I played worship for like twelve years and helped lead worship. I play I play like four instruments, so I always was doing something in worship because someone has to take off, so I'll fill in, play guitar, bass, drums, what have you. Um, I love the camaraderie of being around people. Xylophone? I do. I play glockenspiel. Yeah. I play piano. I play xylophone. I play harmonica. Triangle. Uh, what? Triangle. The triangle. Everyone plays a triangle. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I, I loved certain aspects. I loved that, that you, you would be a part of something like that. Um, I got into it because I grew up in it. I grew up in the fact that I was baptized at eight or nine in a dispensationalist end times theology conservative church, and God bless you. Sorry, man. Um, and I spent twenty five years in that, and so yeah, that's. But at the same time, it's not all bad. I think sometimes you need to be able to vent the frustrations. Like I love the friends that I grew up with, who ended up being like hyper Calvinists, who ended up being like hardcore fundamentalists, like. I, you're right, buddy. What? He's just upset. Ohio State lost this week. I'm what was sorry. That? Mm. Um, I I still love those people. Like if 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 the if those folks would want to go have a drink with me or hang out with me, like I would love to do that. Um, so it's not all bad, but I think when you have an experience like I did, like I had nightmares and I had these sort of things where. Like if my parents were late, I felt like maybe they were raptured and I wasn't because I wasn't, of course, because I said, fuck, and I'm beat off. So of course I'm not going to be like, I'm a, I was a teenage boy. Like I'm not going to be raptured. I'm not going to make it. You know what I mean? Like we always have this self-deprecating, I'm a scum of the earth, shame, guilt, all that stuff. Like I did these bad things. So therefore I'm not going to make the cut. And so it was like psychologically, tra- which, is, which is why, I mean, I love Michelle and, and a personality, but as an intellect, like I love the fact that she gets to the psychology of it because it's psychologically so damaging and we don't always think about that. We think about it theologically and we don't think what's the psychology of it and how does it affect us in terms of trauma, in terms of PTSD and things like that. And um, so I had a lot of that, but it wasn't always negative. For me, hip-hop, and I, I started doing hip-hop just as a way to expand my creative writing because I've written prose, five books. Like, hip-hop, I just wrote as like, oh, let me just get a little more creative. And I found out that I really loved it. And so it becomes cathartic. And you, when, you're, when you're doing something that's cathartic, it's not always talking about the good times. You have to talk about the pain and the trauma and the hard shit that you go through 
You know, I, I talk about my dad who I don't know because they went through a divorce and he blamed me for the whole, like the whole thing of walking away. So I got some songs that are going to come out at some point. I swear to God, I'm going to produce an album. Um, there's songs about that because I'm not going to talk about all the good times because people need to resonate with the hard times because sometimes when we, to get through the hard times, we have to see it for what it is. We have to just look at it in the face and then move on. And so a lot of times, like the human experience is such that you need to see someone who's going through the same shit that you're going through and, and resonate with them to connect with them, to move on past that. And that's what I see that song and other songs that I didn't play tonight. But, um, I think, I think it's important to talk about the stuff you don't really want to talk about. I would never talk about face to face with, I mean, this is part of my social anxiety. I wouldn't talk face to face about what I talked about in the hip hop songs to anyone here because it's too real. And so you have to use that outlet. That's beneficial to you that you can get that out off your chest because for me personally and this is just real talk like shoving shit down is way more um every day like it's just easier like just yeah. shove it down um i'm not you know like if, yeah. if someone like, what are you doing today oh, i'm gonna go do some hip-hop no i'm never gonna say that i'm gonna say oh, i'm just chilling today because i don't want to talk about it like so you have to find that outlet to get it out for me, it's hip hop. For others, it's books. It's, for others, it's blogs. For others, it's different kind of music. For others, it's paintings. In whatever way you can get out the stuff that you don't want to get out, find a creative way to get it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you want to say anything about it? It's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's the longest I've ever talked on this show. That's good, though. Just, you're, <laughs> you're growing as a person. I'm growing as an individual. I, I was going to say, I think... Um, um, you know, when you go through deconstructing your faith, it's really painful. Um, people, you end up losing relationships and friendships, right? Uh, yeah. I did. I uh, lost some good friendships, uh, fellowship, right? Sometimes you just, you opt out on your own because you don't feel comfortable there. And sometimes you're opted out because you're not welcome anymore, right? Because I can't fellowship with you if you don't believe X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, and that's painful. Uh, and sometimes you lose family members, and now that's really painful, right? So deconstruction is really, really emotionally, psychologically, you know, it's it's really, really painful. Um, and then this square one thing I've been doing, we've been trying to address some of those things. And one of the things that um, I came across was some research about how, again, how that trauma, that whether it's spiritual sort of trauma or just any kind of trauma, emotional trauma you go through. You, you, it does create those scars and stuff, and you have to address those things if you really want to be free of it, right? If you want to be set free of it. And some ways we get set free of it by expressing it creatively. That's sort of, get it out, you know, put it out there, get it off of you. Um, but so, so there's things that have to be addressed, right? Um, and so when it, to answer your question, <laughs> I think um, I've tried to do, I've tried to go back to some of those negative experiences in, the, in church and things like that that were painful, but look, and and I have to intentionally do it, doesn't it? If I just if I don't, automatically it will not happen. But I, I try to go back intentionally and look and remind myself there was good there. You know what I mean? It wasn't all bad. So and and to to call out, you know, this person was awesome. This experience, you know, in spite of all these other things, this was really beautiful. This helped me at the time. I needed that. I needed this. And it's actually, I think, really important to my healing process to recognize that it wasn't completely bad. There were good things about it. 
Um, and then the other thing that I've noticed, uh, I just came across some really fascinating research that was been done by like UCLA and a bunch of different um, universities have been doing research on uh, rewiring our brains. And what they found is that when people are, when we're negative and when we're critical and when th- that, that creates a toxicity within us and it leads to like um, heart disease, it leads to mental illness, it leads to all kinds of stuff to get, cause you're holding onto that, you're building that up. And you need to rewire your brain. You basically retrain your brain not to always look for the negative things. Now, here's the problem. You can't go through deconstruction without being aware of all the negative things and all the things that are jacked up. That's how you deconstruct. And that's good. You need that filter so that you can say, that's bullshit. That, that's painful. That's toxic. That's not good. Thank you. And um, Finally, man. Thank you. Hey, so you need... Oh, let me have another shot here. So... So you need that to deconstruct, and that part of it is good. The problem is there. I feel like there's sometimes there's a point where we have to. I would say turn it off completely, because you're just going to get fooled again, right? So you need to kind of, but you need to be able to switch gears to the positive, to to look for what is good. So now that you've deconstructed, you've you've wiped all this crap off the table, all the stuff that is toxic, bad, painful, negative. Yes, get rid of it. Good. But what you're left with should be something good. And you should be able to celebrate that and live in that. Now, what I've noticed is if you don't do that, you spend all your time and energy ranting and raving about that horrible crap over there. And you never actually move on to the step of living in the good, awesome thing that you now have after you've gotten rid of. You know what I'm saying? So it's really necessary. I think it's really important to look for the good and to find the good, and then even after you've been through all the crap, to continue looking for the good, right? If you're going to move forward in some way that's positive and life-giving to you, right? So. We got. We must have. We need at question. least one more question to get us to the finish uh, line. Yeah, this one. This one may take us to the finish line. This is okay. from <sighs> Facebook. I got to pee um, so bad. Come on, man. <laughs> Let's just get through this. Here you go. Here. No, I don't want any more. I'm good. I'm just playing. I'm good. So this is from our friend Bobby Downs. Bobby's uh, yes. watching right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing Jamal will take the first stab at this one. My man. How was Jesus different than others? He wasn't. Oh, sorry. That's I'm just. Cut. Oh shit. <laughs> I didn't mean to answer for you, man. I swear. I'm sorry. We don't know what Jamal's gonna say. I, 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 no I don't. I I guess I assumed it makes an ass out of you and me, right? That's what they say. <laughs> No, it's a, good, it's a great question. I think my understanding of how Jesus was different, I would say he's different in the sense that he did not seem to wrestle with the amnesia of, that he that humans tend to, to suffer with when it comes to their true identity. So, you know, a lot of us have had, it's a process to become awakened to who we are because we have to come out of a lot of programming um, that has taught us what we're, well, you know, we, we've heard messages of not being enough. We've heard messages of being sinful, depraved, fallen. And there's a lot of psychological damage that that has caused us. And Jesus did not seem to have that. Uh, he seemed to, to grow in his awareness of who he is, but he didn't seem to have to come out of a lot of baggage, at least in the gospels that we have. We don't know. Because there's probably other other there's probably more to that but with what just from a a surface idea of it there's there's some things that we that we um 
I just, I feel like he had a real good grasp from a pretty early age of who he was and he identified from that place. So even, even like when he was 12 years old and he would talk about, I must be about my father's business. He's actually that, that there's a lot of psychology in that statement. And he basically is saying he's not actually identifying with his story itself in that, in that moment. He's saying, look, I'm my, I have a, a father, a source that actually goes beyond my human story here. And I must be about that business. So, you know, I, I, that's the only way I would say he's different. He's actually, the beautiful thing is, is that he, his, the heart of his message, in my opinion, and my understanding is that this is who we all are. He actually identified with the, with humanity by calling himself the son of mankind, the son of man, the child of mankind. He's like, so as the child of mankind, this is who I am. And then he would like teach us. So I actually don't think in essence, He's any different. As a matter of fact, I think there's, um, I think the disciples started to wake up to that. There's a passage in John, first John, I believe it says, as he is in the world, so are we. So I think just that understanding, that would be my understanding is that he's actually not different in essence. I think his understanding of who he is was a little different, but I don't think in essence he was any different at all. Would you be cool if during Jesus's, walk and we don't have anything from the time that we don't have much until he's a full-grown adult we 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 have very little and we have some mythology and we have all that um would you think or suggest and just theorize or postulate that during jesus's life that he did wrestle with it because i will say that even if at 12 we say we say the statement or we have a an epiphany that of what we are truly like. We can still wrestle with that and have moments or large moments of skepticism. Even if we have this, I mean, I've had those things where I feel like really, like I have moments where I don't talk about a lot because it's not intellectual. Like it's more like transcendent or Holy Spirit-ish. But then I still go back to like being skeptical. And would you say that Jesus potentially had those moments during his growth period? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I, I'm sure he he may have had those. See, I think when I say, so I think the ego. You can make a statement from ego, like I am the light of the world. You can make a statement from ego, like, and and that can be coming from. Or ego. I have the greatest words. Or I am, I am God. I am this. I you am could say all of those things from ego. <laughs> And that's actually, um, I mean, I think the energy of that is a false energy. It's not a, not a correct energy because it's coming from the ego because it's forced because you're trying to convince somebody, you know, I, I mean, not to bring the president into this conversation, but you know, when you talk about narcissists, you know, a narcissist will claim grandiose, make grandiose statements, but that's coming from, that's actually coming from not a sense of being sufficient. It's right. actually coming from a sense of not being sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's attempt to compensate. Compensation. Sure. So, so could, could Jesus have had moments of ego where he's like feeling like he needs to prove himself? I mean, I, I, it wouldn't bother me if he did. Yeah. Um, but I think it, when I, when I talk about knowing your divine essence or, or like when Jesus says, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. I don't see any ego in that. And I don't even think it's hard. I don't think Jesus is giving us a law or a command that's mm. difficult. I think actually in the statement, it's quite simple. He says, be perfect. So how do you be perfect? Well, you be perfect. You don't do perfect, which is the way we are trained to see it is in order to be perfect. You have to do a lot of things. 
or not do a lot of things. Hmm. And then you're perfect. But I don't think that's you, you are perfect in the same way. God is perfect. How is God perfect being? And what is God's name being? Who is God being? You just be. So for us to be perfect, to be the light, it's not about what you believe. It's not even about what you do. It's being. So it's, there's no ego in it. So I think Jesus really had a, a, a way. I think he had probably wrestled. To, you know, when, when you, it, it, there's a sense of waking up that you come out of that struggle to be something and you like to, in, in the sense of doing, you just then recognize who you are. And I think I, what I see is that he had some practices in his life that allowed him to come back to himself mm-hmm. and then he could just rest in that being. And mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's, a, you know, it's one of these things, honestly, where, by the way, Bobby Downs, amazing question. Um, and yours too. Awesome question. So I think it's one of these things where we have examples in scripture. Uh, I think it's even right after the passage about Jesus getting lost as a young boy and then finding him in the temple. And he makes the statement, did you not know it'd be for my father's business? And the very next part, I think this is right says that he grew in wisdom and knowledge and, and even learned obedience and all these mm. things. And so that's kind of part of the Christology that, frankly, most evangelical Christians never talk about. They're very uncomfortable with that idea um, because, it, because it would suggest that there was a point in time when Jesus was learning and didn't get it and didn't know and had mm. to reach this point where he became... It's a little bit too much like us, maybe. Yes. No, but yet... Yeah, so I get so I get why it makes Christians nervous, but right. yet those that scripture is still there. Mm-hmm. It does still tell us that, and again, doesn't go into the details or the nuances of what that looks like, but um, it's still sort of embedded in the story of Jesus that that from a young man he did grow, and you can't grow without learning, right? Without trying to struggle or wrestle or figure something out. Um, I mean, I can remember as a young man trying to. You know, because the story we're told is that, you know, Jesus was, he's God, right? And he always was. He's the second person of the Trinity. And I remember laying in bed just trying to, but trying to think about that, like, okay, but at what point did he sort of wake up and realize, like, hmm. I'm God. I'm the second person of the Trinity. And did he? And when, how did that happen? Like, did he have that realization before he could speak? Did he know words? Hmm. Or did it come later? Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you try to to make sense of it and try to think it through as some sort of a process, it really kind of doesn't make sense. You know what I mean, it's yeah, really difficult to wrap your brain around. It's, it. it's hard to think about the human Jesus. Yes. It really is. No, exactly. That's first. what we struggle with. Yeah, That's yeah. what we're struggling with. Yes. Yes. The humanity. Cause I think yeah. we've, we've, we've emphasized the divinity to the point where we've essentially erased the humanity. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's the error of Christianity. You you really can't have a One religion. One of the many errors of Christianity. Yeah, you, there's you, only a couple. Don't worry about but it. But you can't. We're not going to burn it down. A religion down. that doesn't have a guru in the sense that needs to be followed and worshipped. I mean, because that's the essence of any religion. You have to have a, a central figure that it revolves right. around. And I think that's where we got off the message because the message of Jesus was not that. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, in my understanding, there was no ego in it. it. It was actually just a way to wake us up to who we are. Mm. That's why he left and said it was better. Which is a whole other thing. Yes. Which is very that's, cool, yeah. That's a whole yes. other conversation, I, I think. I love that, actually. So, uh, yeah, but thank you. 
Well, we have four guys. Minutes. Honestly, are we gonna? Are we good? We have one more. We have any, one more any more questions? Or last chance, everybody. We can, we can land the plane and and you can sign up for Patreon and join us on the <laughs> Facebook group and you can ask more questions. That's right. But um, thank you so much in the Facebook world for asking the questions. Yes. Thank you yeah, everyone thank you for coming Appreciate out. Appreciate it so much. Honestly, it's like truly a pleasure to talk to y'all and talk to you all because I don't get to see you all that time. Yeah, so it's, it's really fun. So if you are out there in Facebook land, heretichappyair.com, that's where you get all the notifications that we have a new show. And thank you for all coming out. Heresy, uh, join the Heresy After Hours group because that's a fun group too. And it's it's a related group. It's a sister. It's a sister group. group. It's an yes. affiliate. Affiliate, yeah. That's yes. a good way to put it. What? Huh? Yeah, that's we're where we're streaming. Yeah. So if you want to so go back and watch, will it be up to watch later? No. Oh, no. It's, once it's, you have to stream that shit, over, man. It's gone. And it's gone. But yes, thank you all for coming out. And yeah, appreciate thank you guys it. so much. Really do. Yeah. I don't know. What? We, you got a quite, we got one last question. Is it on iTunes? Jamal, on do iTunes? you know? Will this episode be on iTunes? Yes, we are now on iTunes. So if you go to iTunes, you can subscribe to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast and you will get uh, all the episodes there. And this episode that we're recording will be uploaded there. And if I am an annoying and obnoxious, you can put that on iTunes. <laughs> no, don't and that, put that that'll on there. forever don't, be on the don't internet. Don't put that on there. Please. <laughs> and I will look at it and laugh. Five stars, positive reviews. You know. All right. Can't please everyone. I know. Yeah, it is. I have found myself to be annoying and obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> so maybe I agree with you. I, it's tough to live with me. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have written that on the. Did you write that? No, no, I'm sorry. That wasn't me. I'm not angry. It's a wrap. Thank you, guys.